Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello and welcome to CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTN. And also, we should look for this as hashtag employee-centric and hashtag workplace. Today's topic is building an employee-centric organization. And our guest for today's show are Matt Gowich, who is the professor at St. Louis University School of Professional Studies. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, definitely. We are going to have fun today. And then we also have uh, Peter Gerges, who is the CIO and VP IT with Dunn Edward Corporation. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Great. So, so the reason we wanted to uh, cover this topic today is, of course, you know, we have uh, customers who are supposed to be center of our universe. But then as part of serving them, we need people who work with us, which is our employees. We spend a whole lot of time in understanding the customers, but what do we do to understand our employees? And in fact, do we really take the time and energy and put the investment in making sure that the whole organization is essentially becoming employee-centric because people say that if you take care of your people, then they'll take care of your, your, your customers. So with that as a premise, I wanted to start with Matt, you first. When we look at the kind of demands and expectations that we have today, you have mobile workforce, distributed workforce, multi-generational workforce, and, and each generation may have different um, expectations from the work environment. How do you mass customize your experience for an employee then? Well, I think, you know, yes, we, we live in, in probably one of the most diverse uh, times in the workforce uh, that we've seen in, in quite a long time. We have multiple generations. We have people from various ethnicities and backgrounds. We have, uh, we have a whole host of diversity in the workplace. And the fact is each, each of these different groups has various uh, interests. They have various areas of priority. And quite frankly, organizations... If they're making decisions without understanding the people that work for them, a lot of times they're going to be making decisions that are going to create a lot of stress and tension within that within that organization. So, you know, the the, the best thing you could do is is really to understand to to design systems and processes to to get a sense of what people find valuable, what they find important, what they're looking to get out of work, what kinds of demands they're experiencing, and 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 how can you adapt your organization so that it, it can better meet those needs and you can create that better fit between that, that diversity of your workforce and the specific demands of the job. So, Peter, when you look at the type of environment that we have been developing, and, and sometimes these are self-inflicted because we wanted the flexibility, the, the nature of the work that we are doing every day, that's changing, and, of course, as part of us morphing from one generation to another and or having them coexist, there are unique patterns that emerge in terms of what's working versus not. So what is the type of mindset an organization needs to have even to keep up with something as complex as this? Because it looks very simple on the surface. Perhaps it, you know, it, it is a devil in the, is in the details or in the execution here. 
It really is. It really is. And 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 as you say, there, there's a there's quite a distinction between the the leadership in organizations, which you'll find are are uh, you know more or less mature, having uh, you know different generational uh, times and so on. So there's a challenge between really understanding uh, what what's required in a more modern workforce and and how to make a balance because it's really about striking a balance from where the leadership feels comfortable and executing and and can engage and give a. Uh, you know, give that employee-centric environment. And, and it's a, it, I am challenged to see where all organizations are going this, but I feel that where it's executed well is fundamentally starting with explaining a sense of purpose uh, for uh, the employee so that they belong to the organization. And from that standpoint, you give them the tools and the capabilities that they're looking for to be able to execute. Now, uh, there are different desires, whether it's, uh, flexibility uh, in, in terms of how they work and when they work, and then the management of that. So these are all uh, different tools that you can use to create that employee-centric environment. Matt, so if I were to paint a picture, so we are saying, okay, we want to go after this holy grail. What would that ideal employee-centric workplace look like in your view? Well, so the American Psychological Association has a uh, model that they refer to, which is a psychologically healthy workplace model. And, and, and I've published a fair amount of research on this particular topic and, and talking about really the importance of organizational culture and creating a culture that supports a psychologically healthy workplace. And one of the key elements of that is uh, a, a practice or a cultural value called employee involvement. You know, getting uh, an idea of creating systems and, and, and structures and processes that actually allow managers and senior leaders to get a better sense of, of what their workforce looks like, what their preferences are, their interests are. You know, when we talk about flexibility, you know, flexibility and various types of flexibility are, are, are going to be different in different kinds of industries. They're going to be different depending upon people's various life situations. I mean, based on their technological capabilities and what kinds of jobs they do, if an organization doesn't have a process in place and a well-institutionalized process in place to be able to understand its own workforce, it's not go- It's going to be really kind of shooting in the dark uh, and, and really taking stabs at things that are going to be very trial and error. Matt, when we look at what we are doing here with respect to that painting a picture and then uh, following through do you think the issue is in the way we interpret what needs to be done or uh, there's an issue with the execution per se? Because everyone, it's a very people-dependent issue, and people at the top versus the ones who are the end beneficiary, both are human beings. So I could go and, and literally put my sweat and blood in it, but then it may not be recognized or appreciated by the employees and that disconnect could result in a, a less than desirable outcome in terms of how an employee perceives a workplace. So what, what, is, well, what is the process here by which we actually get to the direction or get into the right direction in the first place? Well, I think the, the, the first thing to, to be aware of is the importance of process. You know, there's a, a big difference between knowing what needs to be done and being able to execute it properly. And if you look at any sort of sports team, you know, most sports teams know what, what they need to do to be successful. The ones that are successful are the ones that execute properly. 
and within an organization, it's it's much the same way. Trying to put a system or or process in place is is great, but if if you're not executing, if you're not you know following all of the steps that need to be taken, getting the right level of, or you know the right people in the room to help make the decisions, understanding what the right mode of communication is, what is the best way to make sure that we're actually going to get valid information about our people or, or, or do a good job of understanding our folks, you know, if you, if you don't take the time to invest in the process, the outcomes aren't going to be what you're hoping for. Unfortunately, in today's world, we oftentimes shortchange process in favor of outcomes. We spend a lot less time thinking through how do we go about executing this and just sort of assuming that all of the pieces are going to fall into place as we move along, and that just usually doesn't happen. If I am going out and trying to do something with respect to execution here, that means we are talking uh, the the steps that we want to take. Is it dependent on the people who execute or someone in the ivory tower is going to decide what exactly needs to be done? Matt? Well, there isn't a recipe. Um, if, If people are looking for some you know, uh, some some prophet from on high to come out and tell them, you know, first you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and then you do that, you know, that's probably not going to happen because every organization is different. Every organization's composition and mix of people and expertise is different. The structures are different. The processes that are in place are different. The cultures, the values, all those things tend to, tend to differ from organization to organization. So there isn't going to be one right way to do this. The question is whether or not the people that are making the decisions know their organization well enough to understand what the pitfalls are going to be in in any kind of process they put into place and be able to create um, tactics, strategies to, to overcome some of those pitfalls, to sidestep those pitfalls so that they don't run into problems and barriers and roadblocks. So, Peter, if... No, no, I totally understand. And, and Peter, to that point, do you think we can attribute this to the very intent? Because, of course, if I were to go to an HR leader in an organization or CEO or anyone for that matter at the top, they'll say, of course, yeah, we are supposed to be an employee-centric organization and we want to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, and then when you look at that, and in many cases you find the actual working of the company, the culture, the way employees feel is totally different. So how do you first ensure even the intent is matching the, the trajectory of the organization? Well, I, I think it's very important to, we mentioned this earlier, to engage the, the uh, employee population, at least a certain subset, into the conversation. So there's uh, you know, a feeling of participation, a feeling of ownership, and, and if you have that uh, level of ownership and responsibility in, in terms of execution, you'll have a better chance of success. Now, I've seen it work very well where you may have a, either a pilot region, pilot department, a pilot group where you can start to execute in, a, in more of a lab environment and, and see how some of these principles work in terms of achieving your goals. And so that you may have some instant feedback loops and where you need to make adjustments in terms of policies and procedures and, and benefits and so on, you, you have a chance to do that before you roll it out to the broader population and see how it works 
for everyone. And, and so that's where I think, you know, in terms of, of trying to be successful, you've got to enlist and engage and, and provide ownership to a certain subset of employees, take a, a level of a pilot step as much as you can, and then uh, provide a feedback loop before you start to roll out. Now, this could be, um, is like, in, in an, a like traditional business, Mm-hmm. which was very command and control. And this is for you, Matt. A very command and control environment where things were working out for them for years. They have been able to satisfy the stakeholders, the shareholders, and everyone. And somehow they're able to also maintain the employee base, which can serve the customer. If all that is happening, then why bother? Why even talk about employee centricity? What is that going to buy them? So that's a question that may crop up in in that leadership mindset. And if that happens, then God bless, that employee centricity will never happen in such organizations. So what is the business case, if you will, to go and tell that organization, okay, you've done enough of that command and control, now's the time to morph? Well, I mean, I I think in in some cases, if, if things aren't broken in a particular organization, then there oftentimes isn't a reason to make all of these revolutionary changes. If the organization is trying to become more employee-centric or the organization is trying to become uh, more customer-friendly or more, you know, fill in the blank with any kind of, of outcome that, that you would like to talk about, then, then the reality is, is that there has to be some symptom, some data, some indicator that suggests that an improvement needs to be made. If, if organizations are just simply saying, hey, I hear that people really value telecommuting, so we're going to implement telecommuting within our organization without understanding what the implications are and whether or not employees are really going to value it and it's really going to have an impact on the on our organization, then you may be setting yourself up to actually create more problems than you're solving. And so, you know, in, in a lot of these cases, when organizations are trying to make changes to become more psychologically healthy or they're trying to become more employee-friendly or more customer-friendly, what you'll often find is that there's some, some data, some indicator, whether it's productivity, whether it's retention, whether it's an absenteeism problem, healthcare costs, you know, the list could go on and on. There, there's usually some indicator that the organization is uh, in need of some sort of intervention, not necessarily a large-scale intervention. Now, if you're talking about the command and control structure, you know, in some organizations that works very, very well. In other organizations, that may not work well. And, and so, but if, in, if it's working well and the organization's data is all pointing to a very strong and productive organization and there aren't a lot of problems, starting to make all kinds of revolutionary changes to that organization may actually create more problems than it solves. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Peter, when we come back, let's discuss the ROI formula for becoming employee-centric, because if any organization makes any investment, they want to make sure that the cost and risk are outweighed by the benefits. And if that ROI is positive, then they move ahead. So if I were to create a formula and help me out, Peter, what would that formula look like, which will justify the need for an organization to become employee-centric? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. 
each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Peter, you got this golden opportunity to develop that ROI formula for becoming uh, employee-centric. If we don't have a positive ROI, then, of course, we cannot make a case. So, what do you think could be a good way to approach this? Uh, the... The measurement tools you have are are not necessarily very scientific in this area. I, I believe that uh, some of the, some of the techniques that we use in our own organizations and that I've seen that have have been successful with others are sometimes simple things such as employee satisfaction surveys. So whether it's at a department level, at a group level, or at an enterprise level, to start to uh, gauge where employees, uh, the pulse of the employees are at, and and make it anonymous and and make it uh, such very specific in terms of what you're looking to uh, to understand from the employee population, and and that will help you. Now you've got to be prepared uh, when you do something like that to be able to make adjustments based on what you hear. Uh, that's the difficult part. Now if you you put it out there and and you you get some some negative feedback or a lot of negative feedback and you don't execute on that feedback, that's an even worse scenario. So in each each uh, time that I've been involved in something like that, at the outset as a leadership team, we agree that we will listen uh, and, and make adjustments as much as we feel we can and the organization can support. Uh, some other areas, some simple things that we do are actually uh, monitoring tenure and, and retention rates. So you can look at data-driven uh, types of tools there to see here's, here's where the uh, retention is across the enterprise or at a group level. And then you can also... Simple things such as actually sick days. Uh, you know, where where are you starting to see an increase? Uh, are you starting to uh, notice things like that? It depends on your organization, of course, and your policies. But these are some of the tools that that we look to 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 measure uh, the ROI and ensure we have a productive and engaged workforce. So, Matt, in this data-driven world, do you think there is a way to measure some incremental improvement in? what we deliver to our customer and to our shareholder as a result of investing in our employee and making our organization employee-centric? Um, I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. I think with the technology we have today and, and, our, and, and many organizations' data analytics capabilities and the ability to integrate data from various sources, I think organizations, a lot of them out there, should they choose to invest in a strong analytics and especially uh, a framework uh, for for integrating data across those various sources, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, you could see uh, uh, organizations being able to track and show how changes in, for example, customer satisfaction might be related to retention rates. That becomes much easier when you're creating more of these uh, 
these these data warehouses, these ability to actually integrate and view all of this different kinds of data integrated across those sources. In the old days, you would have you would have all of these different databases and somebody would have to manually integrate them. Now you can actually build the code and have the technology available to see these things and track these things in real time. And, so, and there's a lot of opportunity there. So definitely. So Peter, just following up on that, do you mm -hmm. think there is an opportunity for us to formalize employee centricity as a discipline, which is by be able to, you know, um, measure, monitor, improve, and then check the change as we do with any other formal discipline? I, I, I believe there, that, that that can be done. Uh, it, it's certainly not, not very well done across the board. Uh, there, are, there are tools, as Matt has just d described, in terms of data-driven tools that you can measure uh, productivity as it relates to you know, such measures as sales, as revenue, as profit, and, and even if you look at uh, an IT organization, uh, and in some cases uh, traditionally a support organization, where now more and more it's at the forefront of, of organizations, you can start to look at uh, a percent of revenue spent in IT as it results in increased sales, increased customer satisfaction, and you can see as you're, you're perhaps spending more budget towards technology systems and resources, how that impacts your bottom line. You can directly see that, and you can directly tie that to, let's say, employee retention or uh, productivity in the IT department. So those are just some general examples of how that can be done. If we are looking at the loyalty and passion of a customer, so that they, they, they are with you, they buy more from you, you increase the lifetime value of the customer, and millions and millions of dollars are spent in understanding the consumer behavior and accordingly tailoring how you deliver experience, the wow experience. How much of an incentive that we already spoke about to an extent to say, okay, how do you build a business case? But what would it take to create that wow experience for their employees so that they are top of the world, they are most engaged, and as a result, you get the most output from an employee, even though you were, even if you were to consider them as a resource. So if, if uh, Matt, you had to look at it as a part science, part art, or maybe more science, would you think we would be able to apply some of those wow customer experience uh, uh, principles to the employee side? Um, yes, maybe. Uh, and, and here's the interesting thing, you know, so especially when you think about organizations that are, uh, you have multiple departments within an organization, for example, the, the, you know, you have your IT department or your research and development department, your marketing department, all that. Many of those departments have internal customers within the organization. So we already, in a lot of cases, talk about our own internal customers. Unfortunately, what we usually do is we only define that in, in terms of one department working with another. We don't think about internal customers in terms of the senior leadership of the organization talking about the employees that work within that organization being those internal customers and how can I, as a senior leader, serve the people that, that, that work for me. And, and, and if we would start to see more people talk about that, then yes, you might see a much more of a focus on how can we adapt some of these 
these specific tactics or strategies that we would use to try to enhance the customer experience and figure out ways to enhance the employee experience. But if you think about a lot of the innovations that have been made to enhance customer experiences, just in terms of, of the interface with a particular product or service, you know, these days people can go in and have a host of access to all things about a particular account that you have with a, an organization that you provide or that you purchase goods or services from. And you can see, you know, when your bill is due and you can track this and you can track that. If employees had the same accessibility improvements with regard to their jobs, how can I make the job more accessible to the employee? I think you might see more of this customer focus being transitioned to the employee experience. And I, I can give you a specific example in which we, we have been able to do that, uh, to, to really uh, tie that employee centricity to the customer and in and, and, and IT because the, the fundamental goal is to align your group so that they understand their contributions to the business and ultimately to the customer. Uh, so uh, what we operate under is technology systems to win, serve, and retain customers. Now, that sounds great. And how do we do that? We'll give you an example here. We underwent a project to essentially go to a mobile point-of-sale system. And so you think to yourself, well, from an IT uh, person standpoint, they, they look at it and they say, oh, great, we get to work on mobile devices and apps, and, hey, that's great technology. But you've got to link that to, hey, where does this uh, make us a stronger business? How does this increase our sales? And you, you specifically can say, well, as we've done this, we can now measure foot traffic in the store because we can tell here's when, when an individual comes in the store, this is how long they, they're in the store, and this is how much they buy. And in certain pilot stores, we were able to say we've now, with this migration from a fixed register to a mobile POS, say that we've increased foot traffic, we've reduced the time that the customer spends in the queue, and they're, in fact, perhaps buying more because the, the uh, salesperson is out on the floor cross-selling and upselling, and that directly correlates to the developer who's deploying that and gives them a sense of ownership. So we have some real-world examples, and, and to your point, that's, it's part art, part science. <laughs> So if I am looking at the culture, or I would not say even culture, the reporting relationship and what people are incented for or what how their performance is measured. So let's look at two different constituents. An employee is reporting to a manager, and manager is being incented and or compensated or their performance is rated A+, when they get the job done. HR, on the other hand, is in charge of the welfare of the employees, and they may be given incentives and or uh, better rating when overall employee welfare is there. But it's not all the time when there is a need or there is an instance where employee centricity has to be demonstrated by a manager to an employee. The HR person is present, and manager truly at that time is trying to get their performance bonuses and they may have, if they're good human beings, that's great, but their incentive is connected to how they get the job done. And sometimes it can eat up employee centricity. Hmm. So that contradiction of, or, or that disconnect between who's been incented for what, and then we are trying to get the whole organization to become employee centric, seems to have a problem or a gap. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, 
Peter, I will give you the honors of you know tackling this situation or this question that I've placed here. Is is how that organizational structure or reporting structure or how the the interaction between HR and different managers should change in order for it to not have this issue that I just described. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. So, so Peter, what should we do when a manager is not incented to help uh, uh, an employee or, or basically introduce employee centricity and they have to get the project done and HR is nowhere there who is supposed to be, you know, incented for getting employee centricity in place. This, uh, this one is, is uh, a common uh, challenge across organizations because uh, as you had laid out, that incentive uh, is, is a high priority for those uh, you know, uh, from a financial perspective for those who are trying to achieve it. And uh, in some cases, they may just uh, bypass the, this concept of employee centricity in order to achieve that uh, financial incentive. So I think uh, as a concept, uh, the, the introduction of some sort of measure uh, around employee centricity, whether it is uh, if you're in a technology project and, and it's a newer technology, that there is an achievement, uh, some sort of milestone around training for the, um, the internal employee who's looking to learn a, a new technology and gain experience and able to, to essentially achieve that learning experience and get to the next level in the technology may be a way of measuring uh, and ensuring employee centricity as part of that incentive. So, uh, in other words, uh, I need to implement a new system by December first, uh, 2016. That's your and and you you achieve that, you get a thousand dollar bonus. Uh, another uh, component of that incentive may be ensuring that uh, the developer uh, reaches a uh, advanced level in uh, Java. Uh, before uh, you know you can achieve that, and if if it's some component they achieve, they get to a uh, intermediate level, you achieve fifty percent. If those are some of the tools you can use, I'm not saying it's easy. It's part art, part science. Once again, but these are some of the things you can you can do to ensure that employee centricity. So, Matt, I remember a conversation with a technology leader who says, you know what, we have a great employee culture because we have ping pong and foosball table in our office. And they did not have a clear idea about what would that career ladder or a career, uh, you know, lattice would look like for a person. So do you think this is only art or there is some serious science that we could be putting behind this in order to make sure that that 
um, the centricity is not just shown by how you take them out to a picnic or put a foosball table there, but actually work to make sure that it's not we look at them as a resource, but we look inside out, means an employee. What does that person want? And then develop that mass customized approach to it. Is that is that again a, a, a Star Trek version of what HR would look like in 2050, or is it really possible? Well, I mean, well, well, ping pong tables and 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 the like sound like lovely ideas. Um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of those the, those sorts of, of I'm going to call them gimmicks, but but they're not really gimmicks. But those kinds of perks or benefits uh, are. Uh, you know they're not really effective at creating an employee-centric uh, environment, and in some cases, people have made the argument that you know the more you offer people things like you know little nap pods or distractions for them to take breaks at work, the more likely you're really just encouraging them to actually stay at work longer than they absolutely have to. And instead of really focusing on the deep-rooted core issues, which is how do we create a more effective culture. You know, when you think about whether you're talking about IT or, or another uh, industry, you know, a lot of the people that are, you know, when, they're, when they get educated in that particular industry, you know, they're taught a lot of the technical skills. You know, they may be taught a lot of the management skills. But a lot, what a lot of folks aren't taught are what are going to be effective leadership skills. When you, when you start talking about creating employee centricity or a, a, in the workplace, um, you're, you're, you're really talking about applying effective leadership skills, creating a culture in which the leaders within a particular, I'm ta- not talking about senior leadership within the organization, I'm talking about managers within a particular department actually demonstrating, you know, good effective leadership skills. And so, you know, getting to understand their people, being able to actually, you know, uh, empower their employees to make decisions and and give them the autonomy to be able to accomplish their jobs in the best way possible. These are things that we're not teaching, and they're things that are very difficult to teach. Uh, and, And yet, you know, you do see more and more folks starting to say, hey, look, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to develop my leadership skills. You know, we even have here at St. Louis University, we've got a master, an entire master's program focused on leadership and organizational development because we're seeing more and more people who are starting to, you know, say, I really need to de- better develop my leadership competencies. I know how to manage people. I know how to be technically good at my job. What I now need to do is to figure out how do I work better with people so that we can accomplish the goals that need to be accomplished. Now let's, let's go ahead, Peter. No, that's that's a brilliant point. I, I believe that it is uh, that that concept uh, across the board, as the the scenario I described, uh, as in in terms of adding a uh, particular metric and milestone around uh, an incentive, does ultimately come back to the the leadership concept as well. Had uh, in that scenario, uh, the manager looking to achieve that milestone should be very conscious of. Uh, the need for development of their employees, uh, and that that is something that comes with uh, seasoned leadership and or proper training. You know, with years of um, working with employees or having organizations where corporate treated employees as resources, and when we talk the word resource, that means we want to get the very last ounce of juice out of them, and that is deep-rooted in many employees' across multiple organizations. 
So before you get them to really reap the benefits and start uh, enjoying what you're trying to uh, basically put in place in terms of making the employee centric, you have to regain their trust. So Matt, what would it take for employees to start thinking differently about the organizations that they work with before those programs which you're trying to put in place will start becoming effective? Well, I, you know, in a, in a lot of cases, it's, it's consistent behavior. You know, when, when, when people see, when the organization says, hey, we haven't done things really well in the past, but we're going to do things differently now, most employees, unless they're horribly, horribly cynical, which obviously some of them are, but most employees are going to say, yeah, prove it to me. And so what they're looking to see is they're looking to see the organization behave consistently uh, according to whatever values or, or message they're trying to put out over a period of time. The more the organization can demonstrate consistency across the messages and the behaviors that it's uh, and the decisions that it's, it's making uh, that are going to impact the employees, the more likely you are to see employees say, hey, maybe, this, maybe they really are trying to make a difference. You know, a lot of change initiatives fail simply because people are resistant to those changes or they're skeptical about whether or not the, the, the change is going to be effective or it's going to really make their lives better or whether or not it's actually necessary. It's over time is when people will notice, hey, look, yes, this is working or it's not. And, and, and so it's, it's that authentic and, and continuous, consistent behavior and messaging that's going to be important. So, Peter, when you look at, and, and thanks, Matt, for that response, because I would like to develop on this. Uh, so, Peter, when we look at such people who may be skeptical, and you're trying to put some um, effort into making it employee-centric, and you, you follow through on your promise, but those people are the ones who could poison the waters or would be the, the last ones to be pleased, if you will. Do you first do the cleanup and then go for it? Or do you kind of persist and, and have to live with that poisoning and keep cleaning that up before you will have a change of heart, even of those people? What's your benchmark to say, okay, you have achieved a level of, of um, aligned thinking from them on, on employees' behalf across the board? You, you can, as, as a leader, you can sense that. As a leader, you, you know uh who who is engaged who is is uh, is uh has the trust in their leadership and who may lack it or be uh, continue to be uh, uh skeptical and i at some level you have to accept a certain amount of skepticism will always be there there are certain folks in uh, in a group that uh, may never fully come on board and that's okay uh and and in fact in a lot of cases, I will acknowledge that openly and say, hey, I, I understand where your concerns are. I understand uh, that this, this may not change for you and, and, and make it public to the entire group because everyone is aware of who, who is on board and who isn't and, and make it known that, hey, I, I'm certainly not uh, uh, threatened or do see a problem with uh, a, a healthy level of skepticism. Now, where it becomes a problem is where it impacts other employees' productivity and, and uh, 
uh, effectiveness. So if you, if you, con- you continue to see that level of uh, distrust and skepticism impacting others, then, then something has to be done about it. But otherwise, as a whole, as a leader, you will be able to gauge that pulse as you're out with your employee base and you understand them and you're communicating uh, the vision and uh, the the direction, uh, it, it, it all starts to come together and you can start to sense where things are breaking down as well. In, in, can, in, I, can I add in here real yes, quick? Yes, please. please. Um, and, and the goal has to be, you know, to create a critical mass. Right. You know, if you think about a normal distribution, right, so, you know, for, for anything you try to do within an organization, there's going to be some percentage of people who are going to be supportive. There's going to be some percentage of people who, no matter what you tell them, are, are going to, 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 to be naysayers uh, about what it is you're trying to do. And then everybody in the middle is going to be kind of riding the fence and waiting to see what happens, those skeptics. If you can identify the people who, who think what you're trying to do is a great idea and, and, and leverage them as a resource to help support that middle group of people and bring them up to the supportive side, you can use that to help create that critical mass that will help to 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 ensure that your change is, is successful in the long term. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and let's talk about changing tires of a moving car, which is we have organizations who want to innovate. They want to be relevant to what's going on in a given at a given juncture. And in order for them to do that, they have to change the people, the process policies, and even uh, you know anything else related to w- what will take that organization forward. While all of that has to happen, you have to change the way you do things, the way the the employees' expectations are set, and even the people who would be required to do certain things. And you have to not exactly let go, but retool other other people in the organization. With all of that happening at a given time, what would it take for you to still continue to chip away at this employee centricity? Or if you have reached a, a, a sustainable level, then maintain that as you go about this innovation cycle, which almost every organization is facing today. So how do you make it, in short, an employee-centric organization same at the same level or maintain that same level as you go about innovating? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Matt, changing priorities, moving target, and you have employee centricity to maintain. How do you go about doing it? Well, I think the the first thing that an organization needs to make sure that it can do effectively is monitor how things need to change. 
having the ability to actually identify, you know, upcoming trends within the marketplace, within the employee population, within the technology landscape, the competitive landscape, all of that, being able to make sure that they have a good uh, data collection uh, set of tools, and we've already talked a lot about analytics and, and, and data, but, you know, making sure that they have a good ability to be able to collect some of that data, integrate that data so that they can be able to actually make informed decisions about how it need, they need to uh, adapt and, uh, and evolve over time is, is really the first, the, the, the first step. And then from there, it's really a function of the organization making deliberate decisions about how it wants to adapt. Organizations today are not the same as they were, you know, 10 years ago. You know, visions change, messages change, technologies change, how we connect with customers changes. You know, a whole host of things change and evolve within an organization over time. And sometimes that's going to make an organization seem more employee-centric to the people that are there. And sometimes it may make it seem less employee-centric to the people that are there. But organizations are, you know, they have to adapt, they have to evolve, or else they'll eventually die out. So, and the reality uh, is, is that you're going to turn some people off in the process, and, you know, and, and some of those folks might leave. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that's, that's a bad thing. You know, as organizations change, they, 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 they mean different things to different people. You can't be everything to everybody. And, and, I've, and it's interesting, Matt, as you say that, uh, you know, we've, I've seen a couple of real-world examples where this ha- has happened, mainly in being as part of an acquisition uh, company. And in that scenario, the acquiring company may w- have some differences in, in uh, metrics and fi- financial measurements and deliverables that they insist upon, or a new leader comes into the organization and has a much different vision and direction that they want to take the company. And so where I've seen this be effective and, and, and the dynamics that take place are, let's say, a new leader comes into an organization and says, okay, we, we, we historically we've done well, folks. We need to change direction to get to this ne- next level uh, for our shareholder value. And here are the initiatives that we need to take on, and here are the uh, expenses that we need to cut and some very clear measurements. And, and what that does to employee centricity is pretty uh, massive in terms of effect and how you manage that and how you work through it. And so you have to really take that delicate balance of here's the change in direction, here's how we're going to you know continue to work on employee centricity, and ultimately uh, the the success of that, as I've seen, has been is through some pr- pretty difficult transitions. Has been through uh, very strong communication, very clear communication, and very strong leadership. In the sense that we still need this employee population to to be successful in achieving these metrics. And as you just concluded, Matt, in some cases, uh, those who are not meant to be there essentially fall out, and you, you're able to achieve those. Uh, both financial metrics and employee centricity with that balance. So it is something that that uh, can break an organization uh, and leadership, or if done properly in terms of communication, measurement, and feedback, can be successful. No, while while yeah. you guys were talking, uh, I got a message from one of the listeners, and and they made a very good point here. They say most of the middle management are not inspiring leaders, and have no clue who is engaged because they themselves are operating in fear versus flow, which is a state of engagement. 
Now, if you have such such situations, and and these are not very uncommon, to be very frank, mm-hmm. then how do you make sure that the middle management? How do you, how do you go and and get the middle management to be engaged, if you will, for them to feel that the organization is taking care of them, or perhaps mentor them because they're the ones who would cause that otherwise potential great employee to leave because most people leave not because of organization but because of their managers. So, Peter, if you were to to could kind of look at this as an issue, which has been mm-hmm. raised by a listener as we speak here, what would be the way you would tackle this? Yeah, it's it's a great point. I, I think there's a few fundamental pieces. There's number one: are they they qualified to be a manager? And let's assume they are, and it's just a, the organization. Maybe their manager or leadership is is such that they are not getting the right mentoring and and development. Uh, I, I will take that as kind of the. Uh, the question and and so w- where this this manager has to really focus on i believe if is is to really engage their group uh, so they 're responsible for their group and team as the manager and they sh- the, the the recognition should be number one that 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 is their priority and and from that uh, they 'll develop hopefully that employee centricity and trust within their own individual group and even if there 's not a a very healthy relationship above. Uh, at least they will have that healthy, let's say, organism within the organization and show that leadership and be able to, to shine outside of maybe that particular group. I, I, uh, without you know, much, much more detail, that, that's how I would see it. And another point that was made is, uh, this is for you, uh, Matt, that when people make more noise through internal or external social media platforms or some other form of communication. Those are the people who are seen most engaged, as most engaged, and they're given the opportunities or perhaps they are seen as the one who should lead the troops, which could very well be uh, an incorrect or a false positive in a way. Mm -hmm. How do we see through all of that and cut through the clutter and give objective recognition and support to those people who are essentially trying to um, move ahead? And you got 30 seconds. Okay, um, and well, and I think the the key here is that that's that's kind of a an, an evidence based decision making mistake that most people make. We assume that just because we see data that it's valid data and that it generalizes. And unfortunately, we do see a lot of organizations making decisions just on people who are critical and not then engaging a more valid data collection process to figure out what the data really says, whether what those people who are complaining about are on social media are. You know, whether that really generalizes to the broader population of employees or customers or whether it is just isolated to a small percentage of folks. One last comment from you, uh, Peter. Um, Ten words or less, what would be your message to the organizations and their leadership who are trying to build employee-centric organizations? Uh, you, as, as the leader, you need to provide a bird's eye level, uh, vision of points. And then each department, you know, should work independently to develop those, those goals and support the vision so that it's a common, fundamental, uh, aligned organization. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, uh, Matt and Peter, for sharing your thoughts on how we can build an employee centric organization. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed the conversations and are going to work towards building employee-centric organizations wherever you work. Search for CTN on Facebook and also be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn community. Thank you again for listening to CTN, which is CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All. 
your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.